why I wanted to create Saltaire being a body care brand because those products don't have a size. They really are truly inclusive and we have pumps so they're, they're better for people with you know, disabilities. And that was just something from the, the get-go was like, this is not for this campaign. We didn't want to just, and, and I think, I hope brands realize that bodies are not a trend. You know, inclusivity should not be performative. It's just what you should be doing because it's right and because people deserve to be included. What's up and welcome to the Very Best Self Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Brown. Tune in each week as I have candid conversations with inspiring humans, including athletes, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and anyone out there making waves. Get ready to leave your comfort zone behind, step into your power, and live a more purpose-driven life. I am so happy that you're here. Now let's do this. Welcome back to the Very Best Self Podcast. I am your host, Victoria Brown. Today, we have Iskra Lawrence on the podcast. You guys, this interview, I just adored her. Absolutely adored her. I enjoyed every single minute of this episode and discussing with her uh, just her life and all that she's done. And so she is a model. She is a mom. She is an entrepreneur, the founder of Salt Air, which I think you probably have seen in Target recently um, because it's being sold there. Uh, she was also like the original Airy model um, for that campaign, the uh, ambassador for uh, the self love campaign and you know body positivity campaign. Campaign. She's one of the, you know, premier models, uh, really, uh, from the self love, you know, body inclusive, you know, era, which is still obviously happening, but she kind of pioneered this in a major way. Um, and so I just absolutely adored her and I adored every single minute of this conversation. And I know that you're going to absolutely love this episode. And I also learned so much. She was just epic. I loved her. Um, yep. So let's get into it. Here we go. All right. Welcome back to the very best self podcast. I am your host, Victoria Brown, and I have Iskra Lawrence on the podcast today. You guys, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy to be here. I'm ready to dive right into all the good stuff. Good. Um, it's, uh, so we were just kind of talking, you know, before we hit record, uh, and catching up a bit. Um, but so Iskra is a very busy woman. She is doing (laughs) a lot. Um, So I'm going to read kind of like a little bit of your bio. You have over 6 million followers on social media, which I'm sure it's probably even grown since I have have this recorded. Um, But uh, so you are a supermodel, you're a mama, you are a business owner, you are a brand builder, you are an investor. Like, is there anything that you do not do? Um, I don't eat sushi. No, (laughs) I don't. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how to not do things I don't know how to say no that's something I'm working on this year no is a very powerful word for me that holds a lot of weight and holds a lot of power and it's not a negative thing I'm trying to embrace the no (laughs) I love that embracing the no I feel like I am on a similar journey and it must be Mm. something that's like going around in the universe, if you will, because I've had so many guests on who are kind of just like in this very deep path of like, 
alignment. And like, Mm -hmm. I need to say yes. When I mean, yes, I need to say no, when I mean, no. And like, I need to like fill my cup and, and, and put things on my plate that are like things that like bring me joy and happiness. And that includes like the activities that I do, the businesses that I start, the people Mm -hmm. I surround myself with, like all of it. Like, I feel like I'm in a very similar place of just like wanting to do a deep dive overhaul on what's working. I think we need, it's like pandemic 2.0. It's like, we were so scared of what next during the pandemic. We all like took on lots of new things and different things. And then as soon as things kind of started going back to normal, we overworked to try and catch up, I think, because a lot of us maybe did feel unproductive during those kind of like moments at home. But I think we were being productive. I just think it looked different. And for me, it now feels like Vroom, like everything's back in like 200%. And it was like, whoa, I need to find that balance again. It's like the pendulum shifted for me, especially being a new mom during the pandemic. It was just me, my partner at home. I lost my contract. He lost his job. It was very much like we went back to square one. And now I guess all the things we're building on have all come into fruition and it's just like overload. And it's like, whoa, we need to rein it in and like find that balance again. Like I would just love to be able to sit down at the end of the day when my toddler's gone to sleep and know that I didn't have to do anything. Like I I can't imagine what that would feel like because the to-do list piles up every day. And like for every like five things I tick off a day, I add 10 new things. I'm just like, when does this end? When do I get to like complete stuff? And then there's just like some moments of peace. So that's really my focus moving forward in this year is really like, okay, how do I start saying no? How do I start protecting my energy, creating those healthy boundaries um, and not being ashamed or afraid to say like, this is as much as I can do. And I know that's okay. I don't need to burn myself out to achieve success. And I think that whole kind of idea of success has been really challenging for a lot of us seeing those like that girl videos where people like have a super tidy house and they have all their shit together and they're working out and they're growing their business and they're growing their hair and they're doing, and it's just like, ah. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> you just spoke to my soul. You just literally <laughs> spoke to my soul because I have been someone, I fell victim real hard to these mm-hmm. that girl videos and all these things you see on Instagram. And I'm just like, you know, I got my, my closets built out. Right. And so it's like, you know, okay. I, I'm very lucky. I, I did a partnership with, um, California closets. It wasn't like free, nice. but I still had to pay for it, but it was nice discount. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to get that done. And then I had this gorgeous pantry. And I'm just like, recently I even had the help of an organizer come in to help me like make my pantry Mm -hmm. organized. Right. But then it's like, you've got to get all the bins and all the things and like to make it quote unquote, aesthetically pleasing. And so I'm looking at other closets and I'm just like, if you zoom in, I'm like, hold on, this is not real. It's not real. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. where's the actual food that you're eating? Where is it? Yeah. Because I don't see it in your closet. And here's the real kicker. Because this was a partnership with California Closets and God bless them, they came over to photograph my primary closet. Okay. And do you know what the first thing we did was? Take stuff out. Take or, things out yeah. of the closet so that it looked ready to be photographed, aesthetically pleasing, perfect, yeah. et cetera. Mm-hmm. And we took that's a metaphor. Half, for, 
yes. this metaphor for social media. <laughs> it is. We took more than yeah. half of the closet out. You didn't, you're not going to see that um, in the photos on social media. You're not going to see that. And so yeah. this is a message to any girl out there or, or guy or anyone in, in general mm-hmm. who's, who's listening to this, that like, you know, it's these, these things you see on social media are not real not real it's all created you're making me want to go into my closet right now and take just a quick video and show everyone like this is what normal closets look like because it's a shit show in there yeah yeah (laughs) because you're a normal person like and and so like you know I'm just and and I and it's so funny because now I'm going on a little bit of a tangent but you know I had this um so I'm a soul cycle instructor and I was teaching class Mm -hmm. on Wednesday night And, you know, I kind of just like talk to my rooms about like what's going on in my life all the time. It's Mm. not just like, I don't know, we're fitness class. Like they know shit about my life. They they know what my favorite restaurant is. Yeah. 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 Where where I'm eating, what movie or what TV shows I'm watching. They know everything about me. So I'm like having a discussion with them and I'm like, you guys, I hate myself right now. I'm like, you know what I did today? I'm like, this is what I did today. I go, cause this is all relevant right now. I'm like, I had that home organizer come over. She Mm. helped me with the everything. And then I'm, I told her, I told everybody, I was like, and I had a lime green water bottle hmm. and I threw it away because it didn't match my aesthetic. Oh, and I go, and I said, do you know how fucking ridiculous that is? Yeah. I was like, and I'm so glad we're having this conversation out loud. I, and that was an LOL, LOL moment. Cause it's just right. talking and they're working out. Yeah. And I was like, so you know what? that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever done in my lifetime. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to rescue that water bottle and I'm going to pull her out of the garbage and I'm going to put her back in the cabinet because I like that water bottle. Right. She is worthy. (laughs) She is worthy. And I rescued her. I got home and I brought her out of, out of the trash can and put her back in my pantry because I was like, this is a bunch of crap. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I mean, it, it can easily get to that point, especially when we're just living these lives very much online. There are right. decisions I've made and decisions I'm building a home right now. There's mm. decisions I've made about the structure of my home, the placement of the windows, the placement of walls, purely to get the best lighting and the best kind of like what I think is going to look good on camera, which when you think about it, it's like, that's fucking scary that I've designed a house around social media, but it is my career. It is my job that is important to me. And I get frustrated every day, which again, I'm very grateful. I live in a beautiful home. The fact I even have a home, it's like, it's funny how I catch myself complaining because the lighting's not right. Or I don't like that. I have a dark kitchen and everyone has a white kitchen on Instagram and it's bright and airy. And I know that stuff is ridiculous, but I will say like when you're in this world, and that's why it's important to have these conversations to normalize it, to know that I'm not going crazy because clearly you have the same kind of wild thoughts because we're so ingrained, so ingrained in us. Everything we see and everything that we're consuming is like this perfected, curated look, feel. And it's um, and that's why it's important to go and follow accounts and find people who obviously do show the real realer side of things um but I think it's hard because that's a perfect example California closets we love you but that's a perfect example it is the brands that come in and I keep telling Philip this all the time I would create different content if I didn't think brands were watching and judging my content and thinking should we pay her to collab or her rooms are messy the lighting's not good like yeah, you, I think aesthetically mostly because I'm trying to work with brands and help promote their products. And obviously that's my income right now. So right. It, it's like a weird cycle. It's a cycle. <laughs> it is. Um, mm-hmm. I love it. I feel like we could definitely go off on this tangent for 
a very long time, yeah. but let's mm-hmm. get back to you. Let's talk about mm-hmm. um, your incredible journey. Uh, so I think you kind of got your start uh, in modeling and that's been many years ago now. And you were one of the first models on the Aerie campaign um, around body positivity. Uh, and so you've been the face of several campaigns since then. Um, and you're a leader in the body positivity movement. Um, I would say maybe since before it was quote unquote cool, um, <laughs> which is, which is major. Mm-hmm. Um, so can we talk about that, uh, and what that journey has been like and why you're so passionate, uh, about, about it? Yeah. So I started modeling when I was 12, I entered a competition, um, and I got into the finals. I didn't win, but I was scouted. And that agency who took me on was a really big, famous agency. And they just kept measuring me and they measured me from the age of like, 13 to 15 and by the age of 15 I'd done some like runways where I didn't fit in the clothes and I did some shoots and it just became more and more apparent when I would compare myself obviously because that's what you do you're human and I'm very young to the other models I realized my body shape being more like hair hourglass I was like my body doesn't look like these other girls and they dropped me so they dropped me because of my measurements my hips were 37 inches and they needed to be 35 and they sent me a list of like 10 agencies to go and see and every single one gave me a similar excuse I was like too curvy too mature too commercial and of course when you're like 15 you're also going through puberty I was um like a national swimmer at the time but I was I wanted to give it up because I felt like I was getting too muscular because I was just so conscious of my body image so I took that all out of myself personally and I basically decided that there's something wrong with my body something wrong with my size and I had to do something about it and I didn't know how to do that in a healthy way and uh, so I ended up having an eating disorder um I did a lot of food restriction unfortunately and exerted myself and did exercises purely to burn calories which sometimes gave me fuzzy eyesight or you know I was passing out and I didn't even know I had an eating disorder. I didn't know that an eating disorder was a mental health issue. So that took a long time. And I was kind of in that space for maybe four or four years. And then I heard about plus size modeling. And it was a girl that I was on this tiny job with. I was like doing a catwalk for a college, a local college. And she said, do you know there's something called plus size modeling? And I was like, what is that? And so I did my research. And this is the before the time of social media. Like I think Facebook was just around. And I saw these plus size models in New York. I saw Robin Lawley. I saw Tara Lynn, Candice Huffey. And I was like, whoa, these women are incredible. And so I thought maybe this is where I could fit in or be accepted. So I went to the only agency in London that had like a plus size division, uh, established agency. And they said, you're too small. You can't be a plus size model. Ugh. I was like, what? I was like, I've just spent the last six years trying to starve myself to be a, a, a sample size model and standard kind of like US zero to six. And now I was about like an eight. And they would. And so they were just said, there's no industry for you. There's no market for you. There's no brands that would want to work with you. And I was like, really? And it just clicked in my mind that these gatekeepers, I was never going to be good enough for them. They were always going to try and change me. And I was like, I can't change myself. I want to change this industry. So that that point, I decided to be a lone ranger and start contacting brands directly and pitching myself wow. and basically saying, like, I'm the only model at this size and I'm in between. And a lot of your customers look just like me and they want to see that diversity in that size range. So 
I really niched myself in the lingerie and swimwear space um, because a lot of brands would have like the straight size model who was like a a B cup, um, that's called a US two to four. And then they'd have a plus size model. And I just was like in the middle and I became very relatable for a lot of people. So brands got feedback that they like to see someone of my size. And so I was able to kind of use the the direct clients I got to go back to the agency after about a year and a half, two years and say, hey, I'll give you 20% of all these clients that I've got myself. If you will just sign me, just send me to the castings, just like, like, what do you got to lose? Wow. The hustle. The hustle was real. And And so they said, okay, and took you on. And luckily it was a new agent this time. So the previous one was a, a, a gentleman, nothing against him, but I guess he didn't understand the need for this kind of inclusion and the new booker they got was this curvy black woman and she was like I want to disrupt the industry like I'm all about this let's do this so it was again timing never giving up dedication Um, and me and her did some amazing work and she brought on more girls kind of like to really create that there was like hey there are these girls that are mid-size it wasn't even termed at that point we were called curve um and they're available and they can shoot just as well as any other girls. And there is a market for this. And then about two years after that, my New York agency, Jag, came over to visit and they were scouting and they met me. And when I told them this story, because at this point it had been 10 years, I was probably, I was like 22. And they just saw that I like never gave up. They liked the hustle. That new, It was like that New York energy, right? I was like, listen, I'll outwork anyone. <laughs> I will impress a client if I if I'm in the door trust me like I'm making this happen so they believed in me and they brought me over to New York I did a six-week trial it went great four weeks later I dropped everything broke up with the boyfriend in London and moved to New York and moved wow. in with a girl I met on Facebook <laughs> and it was we stayed in a super eight motel for three days and we were like we have to find a place to live in three days and we found uh, some shitty apartment that was actually illegal because they were trying to sublease and you weren't allowed to sublease. So we got kicked out of that. Um, oh, no. So we didn't have any furniture, no cut, nothing. We were like living off of just salad bowls that we just kept stealing from the store. It was a wild time. But after about six months, you know, we found a place to live. There was five of us in a one bed flexed apartment in New York. Wow. Which I feel like it's a, it's a normal story though, right? But It is very, yeah. You know, it was a very intense period of, of especially female, in the model industry, I think. Especially because there's the thing is what people forget about modeling is it can be well paid. For most people, it's not, and it's inconsistent. So you could get an amazing shoot and get paid two thousand for one day, but it might take you three months to get paid, and then your agency takes forty yep. percent, and then you. Know, so the cash flow is really, really challenging, and I've really embraced that and really leaned into understanding finance and investing and I always live below my means so yeah that's how I kind of ended up in New York six months later I got the airy casting and that definitely changed my life um I was the curviest girl they'd used at that point oh. and when my photos I only did a one-day shoot with them but I was like I need to turn this into something bigger that one-day shoot ended up being a seven-year contract and when my images first went viral it was because people had never seen a lingerie campaign where a girl was sat normally and had some roles that was it was just something as simple as that which blew my mind and I knew that there was like okay there's a lot of work to do something here the fact that people were body shaming me and bearing in mind I'm still just like a US 10 
I'm just a US 10 and I'm just sitting down and I've got some rolls, which is all very, very normal. Normal. And the photos weren't retouched. And it was just because for forever, previously, when we've been shown lingerie images, they were a fantasy. They were an illusion. It was very much targeted to being attractive to men and the sex appeal. And this was just like some random girl wearing some big undies with some rolls sat down, feeling confident and being herself. And it shouldn't have been revolutionary, but weirdly it was. And so me and Aerie both kind of catapulted um, the Aerie Real movement and then my social media at the same time. Um, and, you know, 2015, I had 70,000 followers in the September. I remember it was my birthday, my 25th birthday. And by the December, I had a million followers. So wow. it was like, I'd get like 100,000 followers overnight. It was just nuts. Yeah, I love it. Really it. I mean, I remember when this came out. I remember yeah. <laughs> it because I remember being like at the mall. I think I was like, this is in Maryland, like where I grew up. And I remember seeing mm. these like images like hanging in their windows and being like, that's really cool. Yeah. And I had never shopped at Airy and it worked because then I did because wow. I was like, fuck yeah, like this is awesome. Like <laughs> I'm going in there. Um, and still to this day, I buy my underwear there. Yeah. <laughs> They're an amazing um, company and there's just so many incredible women like right at the top making those decisions. And that's definitely one thing I've learned in this industry. You need people with empathy at the top who are making the decisions right. or else change just doesn't, doesn't happen. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in terms of uh, plus size modeling and mid-size modeling, I do think it's, I mean, well, I can't speak to everybody. For me, it's entirely true. Like I don't care what the model looks like. And mm -hmm. I'm going to buy the thing. If I want to buy the thing, it doesn't, yeah. it does not persuade my purchasing whatsoever. Like mm -hmm. I, like I, I just, I know when I'm going to like something and I'm not going to like something like the, who the model is. Like I, I'm like, I want to, I prefer to see all women in all shapes of sizes because it doesn't, it doesn't bear any, I don't know. It doesn't bear any weight on, on, uh, whether I purchase or not. So like, yeah. I don't understand where this even this idea even came from, to be honest. And I'm so glad that we've come as far as we have. We have. There's still obviously a long way to go. And I think, unfortunately, yes. a lot of people right now are talking about the fact that it's actually declining the amount of inclusion on the runway this season. There was a lot less plus size oh. curve models um, and people feel like it's going backwards because there's this Y2K trend. And this is the upsetting oh. thing. People people are attaching body size a body shape to trends and ah. though those two are not tied to each other at all you can still have a plus size model a woman of a larger size wearing y2k style clothes it's not the two are not you know the same thing so it's right. really unfortunate that fashion has kind of seemed to to make it seem like the y2k you have to have that heroin chic slim frame to pull off the style and i'm so glad obviously we have access now on social media to see that that's not the case and there right. are a plethora of girls who are out there showcasing very cool new styles bringing back the 90s in their on their bodies so um there's definitely work to do um, but I also was doing an interview of Business of Fashion the other day, and I was telling them that the recession really terrifies brands. And what I notice is that they go back to their safety. And safety oh. is the straight size, blonde, blue-eyed, white, able-bodied girl, because she traditionally has sold the most product. 
So they go back to that like safety because they're all, everyone's scared of losing their jobs. There are so many brands that are bankrupt right now that don't know what to yeah. do. And it's really sad that that's like their, we've got to retract, retract. We've got to save money. We, we can't risk being more inclusive. We can't risk extending our sizes. We can't risk including some someone in a marginalized body because we don't know if it will sell as much product. Um, and that's the unfortunate thing that it does go back to money. We live in a capitalist world, uh, but it does have a deeper meaning than that. People see that and it just makes you feel left out and it makes you feel like you're not priority. Um, and so that's why it's really important having soft hair and being inclusive and continuing to put that message out there that it's like inclusivity was not a trend for us. It was just part of our brand organically. We don't plaster body positivity all over our brand either because we don't want to be tokenized. We don't want it to be performative. It is just doing what should be done. And that's really why I wanted to create Saltaire being a body care brand because those products don't have a size. They really are truly inclusive and we have pumps so they're, they're better for people with you know, disabilities. And that was just something from the, the get-go was like, this is not for this campaign. We didn't want to just, and, and I think, I hope brands realize that bodies are not a trend. You know, inclusivity should not be performative. It's just what you should be doing because it's right and because people deserve to be included. Mic drop moment right there. Mm. <laughs> yes, agreed, agreed. Um, and so, but by the way, the, the salt air packaging is stunning. Oh, thank you. It is so gorgeous. Mm. Um, so let's talk about salt air. And there's yeah. there's so much we can talk about. But uh, so you founded this. It's um, you've got uh, lotions and deodorants and mm-hmm. hand wash and a whole line, which is available at Target. By the yeah. way, that's on my vision board. Um, and that's a whole other side note. You have you actually have a journal yourself. Yes. Yeah. And creating a journal. Oh, nice. How's it going? It, it's really, really challenging. It is the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. Um, but uh yeah, so you have a journal as well, but like that's on my it's like on my vision board to have it, Amazing. you know, a product for sale at Target. And you're you yeah. got it. It's incredible. Yeah. I so will let's say- talk about it. Yeah, I will say that I feel like something no one really talks about is the fact that to get into Target, A, is tricky, but B, we literally pay a broker. Um, So there's like brokers that literally you pitch your products to that then kind of dissect them. They figure out if they think that this is a product Target would like. They give you feedback. It depends when you start working with them. But like you go through someone else who then pitches to Target. So it's... It is really complicated. And there are obviously people who maybe figure out different routes. And But yeah, that's great. That's on your vision board because for us, it was day one when we were concepting Saltaire. Target was the goal. It was like, that's the home. That's where we visually see it. When I walk, honestly, inspiration came from like two things. It came from me during postpartum feeling really lost. And to the point where I know affirmations. I know I deserve to look after myself. And I, I just completely lost everything. I lost that will to get dressed to shower and it was not a cute time it was messy and when my Philip asked me he was just like what what do you need what will help you and I was like you know what just like 15 minutes of guilt-free me time to just shower to just like put myself together because there's a lot of different pieces like new pieces of being a mom and old pieces of me that I don't recognize because I no longer live in New York I no longer have my airy contract I no longer you know, I'm seeing friends or being around my family who I didn't see for a year and a half. So I was like, 
there's so much going on. I was like getting in the shower and just cleansing and having that moment of escape and crying or having ideas. And I was getting sent so much PR during the pandemic of all these corny makeup brands, all these amazing new skincare products, that packaging was fun. It was sustainable. There was all this messaging. And I was like, body care is so boring. It's so basic. Or the brands that I do love are super expensive. And I was like, where is the innovation? Um, and then Where's the, the same mid? Thing. The mid. Yeah. Where is it? So Get it? The mid. <laughs> I'm just saying, you saw, you saw a need not only I, I see like a connection, right? So you saw a need yeah. in the modeling industry for the mid-size right. woman. And then right. you saw a need now in the body care industry for a mm-hmm. mid, mid-tier product that was not crazy expensive, but also wasn't, you know, bottom of the barrel like trash, but like yeah. someone can afford, but also it's a affordable luxury. Yes. Wow. Maybe that's my thing. Maybe maybe that is what I like to do. Um, and so, yeah, I was walking down the target aisles and I remember taking a picture and sending it to my friend. And I was like, everything's just white or boring. And the only thing that makes me buy something is when it's on sale. I don't care what it is. And I don't even really think about what I'm putting on my skin. I was like, my whole body matters. I know this and I'm trying to find that deeper connection. And I know I get connected when I touch my body and when I smell good and when I have those experiences. So that was it. That was like where the idea sparked. And visually, I was like, it needs to be bright and bold and like a feast for the eyes. And that will work on social media. And so then I got to talking and my friend who's in PR was like, I know someone who helps build brands. He works for this incubator. He created it. It's called The Center. You have to have a conversation with him. Um, And he's from Thailand. And so he agreed. He was like, I'm sick of just lavender. (laughs) Like, why does everything have to be body care wise? It's just lavender. Or just like these really basic scents. He was like, you know, where I'm from, there's exotic botanicals and there's like fragrance layering and so much else going on. And I was like, please, like those are the products that I love. Um, And so that's really where it started. And we wanted to tell the story of someone being exhausted, overworked, overtired, feeling lost, walking into their shower and taking a tropical escape and literally just resetting everything they felt about themselves and taking those moments of me time. And it's really connected with people. And I know that that's what everyone says. Everyone says your brand has to have a story. And I think if you try and fake that story or just like make it up or it's just something you get the brand and then you decide like it the whole point of kind of creating a brand has to be because there's a need for it and I needed it. And therefore I knew there's got to be other people that did too. Oh, wow. That is incredible. What did it feel like the first time you walked into Target and saw Salt Air? (laughs) Well, the first time it was a fail because even though it said on the app, it was in the store, I went into the store and I literally was like, where is it? And the woman was like, Salt Air, what's that? And I was like, oh my gosh. And it wasn't there. It wasn't on the shelves yet. So I was like, oh, So I was really like, I almost wanted to cry because I got myself so hyped up, but I didn't. And then I knew, and then we all got COVID. We literally, all of the family was sick. And I was like, okay, next two weeks, we're going to find the store that is definitely in. And my friends were sending me pictures like, it's in, it's here. I was like, I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. So finally, I was like, you know what? I think if I go on my own, it will feel, I don't know either really overwhelming I'll cry or deflating because I've got no one to share this moment with so I messaged like all my friends and I was like hey can we all just go together um and it was very very sweet so you know Philip came my parents came a bunch of my girlfriends came there was maybe like I don't know 10 of us and yeah it was just really exciting and just 
seeing it, touching it. It was phenomenal. Yeah. I'll never forget that moment. <laughs> that's really cool. That is, that's just really, really neat. Well, congratulations. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank really you. Really cool. And I'm wishing you all the best because <laughs> if I did it, anyone can do it. That's for sure. Yes, definitely. Um, my gosh, I have so many more questions I want to ask you, but I don't want to, I want to be cognizant of time. Um, I think that, that, you know, we've talked about social media, we've talked about, there's a couple different things I wanted to get into, um, self-funding and why you advocate for it. And then, uh, we'll get into, yeah, we can talk about that first. Yeah. And let's talk about that. So self-funding was also like a pandemic project where, I was like, I need to plan my life. My life's falling apart. I don't have the security of this contract financially or just like the work to kind of show up to. Um, And I was looking through planners and products and I was like, there's nothing that enables me to plan multiple different areas of my life. I have to buy a separate finance planner, a separate health and fitness planner, a separate self-care. And I was like, I'm just going to try and build my own. And like you said, much easier said than done. I think it took nearly a year and a half to actually build it out oh thank god I'm so glad you just said that no it's 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 really tricky it's been over a year I'm still not it ain't out there yet and Mm. the poor people listening to this podcast who hear me talk about it on every single episode god bless you um we'll get there but I also just like it doesn't need to be rushed right there's no there's no reason to rush there's absolutely no reason Mm. to rush you should do it right. You should do it the way you want to do it, et cetera. But I'm so, so glad you just said it took you a year and a half because I'm like, yeah. okay, all right. That That's a huge piece that like scarcity of time. I think um, that's something I constantly am working through. And I'm just like, I want to give myself the affirmation. There's abundance of time. There really is. Um, so yeah, don't rush it. Get it exactly how you want. Because you'll only regret it then when you see it, right? I but agree. I will say the compromise that I should have made is maybe scaling back the cost to create it because it is a luxury premium planner that we had to sell for 72 bucks which is not easy in that space so I think we did it better with Solterre where I knew from day one I was like this product has to be at the target price point and that kind of helped me dictate where we had to go and I wish I would have done that more with the planner so I don't know that's one piece of feedback I would say like really establish what price you want to retail at and then kind of work back from there and potentially make compromises where you need to because you want to make it accessible enough so that your people can actually afford to buy it but it's that's been a beautiful journey because I've essentially had two simultaneous experiences of owning a brand one of which I co-own because I have a business partner who had capital that enabled us to really grow at a rapid rate. And I have this very small brand that I literally developed with my mom. Um, and it was a passion project between the two of us. And we learned all the different areas of manufacturing and distribution that I do understand with Solterre, but I actually have to do with self-funding. Like I, We are the ones that are on the emails to the factories, to the manufacturers, to the distribution. So um, it's really interesting having two different unique infrastructures and both teach me things about the other businesses. So self-funding was important because I knew I was my greatest investment. If I hadn't self-funded, like literally just developed myself, worked on myself, had mentors, you know, just kept on continuing to learn and learn from my mistakes. I wouldn't be where I am now. And I just want other people to know that they're their greatest investment. So self-funding isn't just the planners, it's events. And it's something that we're growing to hopefully a more online community as like time goes by. But again, there's an abundance of time. 
you, you know, not being able to do it all does not mean you're failing. It just means that some things are going to take longer and it's going to be okay. And I think that I'm learning that like the fact that I still have this audience of people still following me, still showing up and I'm still showing up for them. It's like, I don't know what I expected, but the idea of it being 13 years is just really incredible to still be online and still have that community and still feel like there are people that are there for me. Well, I can understand a hundred percent why they're still there and why they're, you know, still showing up in there for you and following what you do, because you you are just very, very, I don't know, real and relatable. I find you. So um, I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, Last question. Well, two more Mm -hmm. questions, but one of them is how I close every episode. But last question I'll ask you about you and your life is how did motherhood change your perspective Mm. on life and juggling all of these things? And uh, yeah, because your most important job that you have is being a mom. For sure. It is the most important job. And I actually posted my uh, phone screen time the other day and you can, and I'm very proud. There's like a chunk between 3 PM and 7.30 where I'm not on my phone and people, it might seem unproductive, but I, I actually just end up working after he's gone to bed, but it's so important for me to get that present time. And it's really good for my mental health. Like we go to the park or we see friends or we just do something that's just family and it's present. And it's, that's really been helpful for me. Um, and it's it's the best job in the world, but it's for sure the hardest. And I think it's a, we're in a really beautiful place in society where moms are able to say that and not get torn down for saying that. I think sometimes people might say, oh, that seems ungrateful. And it's like, absolutely not. It's just the reality is it's a really hard job to be a mom. Um, and there's no rule book for it. There was no manual um, because every baby is different as well. So as many books as I read, many podcasts I listened yeah. to, as many YouTubes about me and Philip were Googling in the middle of the night, it's still, you have to get to know your child and understand them and their needs. And so we're in this relationship and there's three of us now. So I think it's taught us a lot about ourselves. Um, I've definitely become more patient. I've become more, um, I don't know how to live and let go kind of mentality because I am a Virgo. I love control. And there's I cannot control a two-year-old. I cannot control their emotions. Like he has to feel everything and I have to allow those tantrums to happen and those big feelings and having the patience to work with him through those. So it's, it really shows you a lot about how you were raised. And it made me think, oh, that's why I hate disappointing people because my parents' method of discipline was disappointment of them saying like, you disappointed us. And I hate that feeling. So it's like, oh, that's where that comes from. And then it makes you think, well, I don't want to do that to my child. So how am I going to discipline them? And what does that look like? And I know people are saying there's this soft discipline right now. And my parents are like, you're too soft. He's spoiled. And he's entitled. I'm like, he's two. Like, I just, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to be the perfect parent. I know that. But I just got to have a happy, healthy kid. Like, that's the goal. (laughs) Right. That is the goal. I love that. Um, okay. So very last question, uh, how I close out all of my episodes, which is what is the best piece of advice that you would give your younger self? (laughs) Oh, it's always a good one. Um, I wish I could tell my younger self that she's enough, that she is enough and she's going to figure it out. I think that I, I had that scarcity of time feeling. I got told that as a model, your career was over by 21 and I was panicked. I felt like I'd already failed. And it was like, you have so much time to figure out who you are and 
what you can achieve and what you can do. And there's no limitation to that. There's no limitation to trying something, failing and trying something else. And so that's what I would like to tell her, like, whatever you decide to do, you are enough in your relationships, in your business, in your work, in your, you know, appearance and just really staying true to like, I've got this. I'm good enough. I'm going to go after whatever I want. And even if it doesn't go the way I envisioned, it was meant to go that way. You know, the whole saying, like, what's meant for me is is for me. What's, yep. I think it <laughs> can't miss me. Meant, yeah, what's meant for me won't miss me. It's very much that. And I think as you go through life and you learn more, you realize, oh, I'm so glad actually that happened because it led to this. I'm so glad that I had those years with Aerie and it was and it ended because I never would have started self and self-funding. So there's very much just these life lessons that I would love to sit her down with and go, look, look what happens. And just the fact that you stay true to yourself, because the times you tried to change, you tried to, you know, slim down or you tried to compromise in your beliefs and values that didn't go well because you've got to stay true to yourself. That's what makes you special. That's what is unique. That is your superpower, just being you because no one else can be you. Um, and just owning that, um, I would like to give her that information. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate you. Thank you, Victoria. It's been wonderful. I can't wait to listen back to this episode. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> that is a wrap for today's episode. You can follow Iskra. Uh, she is at Iskra, I-S-K-R-A on Instagram. Um, yeah, I just loved, I loved today's episode. I absolutely loved her. I loved chatting with her and I loved, there was just like a realness, I think from her that, you know, of course I have a lot of incredible guests on the podcast, but there was just something about her that just, I don't know. She just is a go-getter, but like not in a, in your face way. She's just like, I'm going to make it happen and I'm going to keep trucking forward and keep pushing beyond and keep going. And Um, I think, I don't know, her story and her gumption were just very, very inspiring to me. So I hope you found that in the, in this episode as well. Uh, You can follow us at Very Best Self, me at Victoria Brown, and uh, definitely we will see you next week for next week's episode. And that's a wrap. Bye.